Hello. Hey. What's up? <laughs> I'm still trying to find this thing, man. Don't, don't, no, that's don't fine. Do we're, we're, we're getting ready to announce community. That just reminded me of... Uh, I've had this thing a couple of times in the last couple of months where I'll call someone and they pick up and then I forget that I'm supposed to talk. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, I initiated. This is this is on me. So, oh, hey. Yeah. So we're on us. This is Ergo. We, Ergo is us. Us are Ergo. Yes. And what we do here is we showcase folks reshaping culture for the more equitable and the more creative in Chicago. I'm Kiss. I am Damon. And uh, we have a great guest here in the WHPK studio with us today. Uh, but first, some announcements. Yes, I will find. I know the first one before I try to find that. I can't even talk now because of this dang phone. Uh, what's up, y'all? Breathing Room event series tomorrow, uh, 5 to 9, 1434 West 51st Street at Breathing Room. Free the people. Craft your liberation. This is the showcase from our Envisioning Justice work, which has been uh, as part of a two-year series or initiative. We are one of seven hubs using arts and humanities to reimagine and to address the carceral system and systemic violence. So we've been doing that, and we're going to kick it and talk about how that's been going. Cool. A couple other announcements. Uh, tonight at Build Coffee as part of the Public Newsroom series, number 62, in fact, uh, they're discussing reimagining the high school newspaper. We'll talk more about what that looks like uh, when we get to our guest. But as always, those events are almost always great. Uh, this should be a really good one. <laughs> almost always. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, you'll catch a boring one. But that's just, I mean, that's the same for us. Like, oh, we're almost always a good podcast. <laughs> I like that rule like you that. left like so that, that, you know, someone will come back looking for you. Sometimes you said it's up. always great. This no, was, no, 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 no. This was we, moderate at best. So. We, it's, <laughs> it's never bad. Just like their events are never bad, but it's not always like popping, you know? Yeah. I feel uh, also tonight, what is sure to be popping, uh, Ergo alum Luke Titus has a headlining show at Sub T featuring Yomi. Cool. Uh, that's going to be a great show. We talked about it actually, like when he was on last month. Um, he just got off tour with Raven. And- Can I use your computer? Let's talk. <laughs> I'm trying to find this event, man. <laughs> uh, yes, you can. <laughs> and then uh, Saturday, outside of Cook County Jail, there's the fifth annual Incarcerated Mother's Day Vigil and Toiletry Drive. That's a whole bunch of orgs that come together to put that on, including BLM and the uh, Bond Fund and a whole bunch of other folks. That's from noon to one outside of Cook County on 27th in California. Saturday night is the next edition of the Hawazi. This one's on politics and potential of water with uh, Rachel Haverlock, who was a guest last year, is incredible, as well as a whole bunch of other great folks, including Ergo alum Charles Preston. Um, and then on the 16th uh, at the hideout up uh, like kind of where we record, like Armitage and Elston area is uh, a celebration of Studs Turkle's birthday and the launch. Your boy. Absolutely. <laughs> Shout out, gang. <laughs> and the launch uh, of the uh, radio archive that WFMT has been working on for a long time. So that's Wednesday the 16th at 6.30 at The Hideout. That's all I got. You know what I'm going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to introduce the guests. Ask the first question. I'm going to use your phone, which is already Facebook working. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to search it and find it. All right. There we go. Look at that plan. <laughs> Let's Perfect. get to our wonderful, wonderful Your guest. great team. <laughs> we work, we, we've learned to work well with others, for sure. Uh, our guest is a educator and thinker and uh, person who has 
already gotten me thinking about all kinds of things differently in, in, in the few times that we've spent time together. We yeah. are very lucky to have here in the HPK studio, Hilda Franco. Bra, 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 ca, ca. Hey. <laughs> uh, not not monumental. Hey. Not everybody. Hey. <laughs> so let, let's start the way we start every show, cool. which is in this time, in this moment, this week, this month, this season, how is the world treating you? And how are you treating the world? I love that question. Um, Bang. I'm going to use that with my young people today. Ooh, I'm taking it. Yes. I'm taking it. Putting it in my pocket. You don't even have to take it. We'll share it with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yours. It's in the bowl. I'm going to take one. <laughs> um, Please one sample. Though. Take one sample. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Don't take them all. Um, so now I feel like right now the world is treating me um, both a test of my endurance and my ability to stay focused. Mm. But at the same time, I'm definitely living in abundance. Uh. Um, and it's been a minute, so it's kind of <laughs> nice. Damon <laughs> just has an existential like relief whenever someone says the word abundance. When everyone's, yeah, yeah, okay. That's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. Um, and w- how I'm treating the world uh, right now, and I think usually I, I try to give. I give mm-hmm. as much as I can. Um, I'm present. I'm listening. Um, I try to uh, be as as just as possible to the people that I see and to just really just give love. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to just like love on each other. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you're, you're in the right place for <laughs> Good. all the things that you just said. That's what we talk about all the time. Yes. Um, Can I do it? Yeah, do it. All right. I apologize, Hilda. It's I am okay. all over the place. I'm with you. Let's go. I feel bad. So I want to make sure we talk about this thing that's happening tomorrow. It is at the Museum of Contemporary Art, 220 East Chicago, Common Practice, Legacy and Art and Design. Uh, it is put together by Sierra McKissick. And now the thing's not scrolling. What's happening, man? There we go. Thanks, Thumb. All right. Inspire. So <laughs> I'm not just your Thumb. <laughs> so there's going to be performances by Tasha Vietz, Van Leer, Matt Muse, Avery R. Young, Patricia Guyon. Uh, I'm going to be talking, doing a thing. I'm kind of opening it up. Shout out to Sierra McKissick of AMFM wow, for putting this together. Amazing. It's free. I do not know if it is sold out yet, but for folks can RSVP, it is from 6 to 7.30. So I'm going to be at two places tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So you can go to either of those if you want to see my face. And fun fact, just this: I, whenever anyone mentions the MCA, I always like to say about two blocks away is arguably the best chicken sandwich in the city, surprisingly. With um, great donuts as well. Oh, my God. The chicken donut Do right chicken and donuts. They're an unofficial sponsor meeting. Yeah. They don't know that they sponsor us. But shout but out. I, oh, quality. All right. I'm back. I am focused. Cool. It is all about Hilda. <laughs> Hilda I'm excited yeah. to do this. And I'm almost yeah. like like worried as a facilitator of this conversation. Because there's so much of your story I want to get to. Yeah. But I also just want to flow and okay. roll. And yeah, I know that sure, there's not sure. an hour. Mm-hmm. An hour can't contain I all this. I spend the hour it. just talking about your concerns. <laughs> <laughs> that seems most useful. <laughs> so... We were talking a lot about, before the microphone, about how you have a deep commitment to yes. the work that you do that is beyond, like, activity or work or job. It is it is at a more, like, philosophical, spiritual, life-based level. Let's start there. Absolutely. And, and when that moment was and how you got to that commitment. Ooh, when that moment was... Um... That's I have I have I have not talked about that moment in a very long time. Um, I think the first time I ever started for me in terms of I didn't know that I was a social justice advocate or I was a freedom fighter or I don't even call myself an activist really. I think 
I think that I was raised in a way to be holistic and to pay attention to humans and be of service to people um, and be compassionate. Uh, I think just cultural. My parents are also people who are um, from very small rural places and towns. And I, I recently told someone that I'm the first generation of both sides of my family to have ever left those places. So, you know, like there's a lot of immigrants that have different histories when it comes to that stuff. They come from cities or, you know, they're second generations here. Things like that. stops along the way. Right, right. But no, directly from the mountains of Michoacan, directly from an isolated area outside of Morelia, Michoacan, right? And have not left, right? Like their families, the people, no one before my parents have not left. And they came here. So for someone like me to exist, I'm the first generation to ever have left those isolated spaces, probably since the beginning. (laughs) 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 Like like, since the beginning of my like ancestry, right? Um, So it's kind of deep for me to like then realize like, whoa, you're like the first generation to leave. Was it real scandalous? (laughs) Were mom and pops like, were they... Were they shaking it up? That seems like they might have been. I mean, in both of their families, they were they were the pioneers, and then they brought all their siblings with them, Mm -hmm. right? So they brought all the the brothers and sisters, (laughs) right? The the uncles, like everybody, started to come from both sides, which is really interesting, right? Um, But for me, I think it started when I was young and recognizing that my best friend was gay. And my shout best friend best Lechuga, friend. and shout, he, out best shout out best friend Lechuga. Lechuga is his last name, so we call him Lechuga. <laughs> <laughs> um, so knowing that that my friend was gay, and my parents were very Catholic, very anti-gay, very homophobic, um, along with along with other things like very misogynistic, still very sexist because of Catholicism, yeah. um, and me feeling like, nah, I'm not cool with that. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't want to take care of a man, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that kind of woman. Well, we are exhausting. <laughs> It's very exhausting. About me. I don't want to take care of yeah, me. I think about me taking care of me. Right. That is, that's not a job I would wish on anyone. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> Barely so, want to do it myself. So I think for me, it was it was that realization of wow, like justice, or like for me, like uh, the humanity in yeah. somebody is. It's not about a label. It's not about uh, a fight. It's not about. It's not about winning. Yeah, it's not about winning. It's really about creating justice in, in, on an interpersonal level. Yeah. Right? So let's go back before we even get from that moment forward to the beginning of the ancestry. Is that? Well, yeah, no, to the beginning. But, <laughs> so we're talking about colonization now. <laughs> not the beginning, beginning, that. but the, the the middle beginning. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So he said that they were both from their communities, the mm-hmm. first folks to come to the states. What do you know about the communities that they came from? Do you still have family there? Have you had yeah, the opportunity yeah, yeah. to go back and forth? Our families are still there. My my family mi- used mitro- to have mitro- Michoacan. Mitro- yeah, Michoacan. Um, Morelia is the city that that's you know what people know but where my parents are actually from they're it, no it's kind of hard mm-hmm. uh, i think recently you can see it on google maps in like the last three years google maps finally yeah. like put it on there um that's almost disappointing it's like ah if we could uh, now i know there. now that's getting good now that that's getting is on google and you can like find it on google but there was like a moment where you just could not find it Do on they google. have the street view though and <laughs> there's no way that, it's an I air love- view and it's just a bunch of like green and four 
forest. And I just love the idea of like, just, <laughs> like the street view cars just there's driving street, up right, the there mountain. There are no streets. <laughs> there's no streets. Like <laughs> I don't know how they'll make it there. They got to they got to do it like everybody else. You got to get on a on a commune, right? Mm-hmm. You got to get on a truck. Yeah. But before that, you got to go to a town mm-hmm. that's the closest to the city, which is Caracuaro. And in that town, there's a truck that only comes twice. Mm-hmm. And then if you get on it, then you're gonna make it to your rancho. You're gonna make it to your you know your yeah. site, your like area, your rural area. Um, but if you don't make it to any of the one of those trucks, you just gotta wait. Yeah. You just and gotta then you wait. gotta tell Google why you missed the bus, why you missed the truck. <laughs> the truck yeah. But to, to that to that point though, and thinking about and Google the, don't play that. <laughs> but that's our new tag. Google don't play that. But thinking about that, not um, but but thinking about that change and that like drastic redirection of the communal like mm-hmm. world that you live in mm-hmm. and the way that we like inherit ideas of community. Yeah. Um, you know, you're arguably the first, it sounds like person to know strangers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For many, many, right? Like the idea that there's someone who nobody knows who you're pat, nobody who you know knows and you're passing them on a daily basis. Yeah. Like that is a new thing. So are in, in maybe in seeing your parents adapt and, and, and learn these new mm-hmm. structures and the scale of it and all that. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, where? Do, how do you think about like their model of community that that you've learned from them? Yeah, I think I learned to be a community organizer and to also like be of service to people because of them and watching them. Like that, my parents also have a, a deep history in Pilsen that that a lot of people don't don't know who are coming in. Um, and I'm actually working on that with my sister. We're working on a project to to really like give the story of my family and the parent mm-hmm. and my parents and that legacy of what they did for Pilsen. They were there for 36 years. Um, so the other thing is that my family is a victim of gentrification. Um, if you all have ever been to, what's it called now? The ramen place. Oh, I hate it. It's They play hip hop now. Oh, is this the spoon? The spoon one. The, spoon one, the spoon? furious spoon. Where they actually put on the door where hip hop meets ramen. Right. Uh, Those right. have never met. They don't need to. Yeah. The building is haunted. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but some of us are cool with that. So <laughs> who's, who's haunted? We don't know, but we know it's there. Um, we, so, no, we can't go past that. What do you mean by the building is haunted? <laughs> well, we we all knew, like we grew up in that building. You know, it's a building that was acquired through the family um, in the sixties. No, mm-hmm. yeah, sixty eight. I think they said, or no, maybe it was later. Maybe it was in the seventies. Um, but my parent, my grandparents bought it, and it was very cheap back then. And that was back in the day, right? Where, where Pilsen looked like what. The fifties looks like now, right? Or like, right. or like the sixties or the seven, like as in going south. If you go further south in Chicago, right? There's neighborhoods that still Pilsen looked like that. Wow. Like it was abandoned. It yeah. was, you know, dilapidated. There that is lots. wild to think about it that when we talk about like time and space being yep. like the, yep. the farther in space you go, mm-hmm. that lining up with versions of different time. Yeah. And Pilsen was definitely like that. So I, I grew up and it was really in the nineties and it was hood, like it was super hood. Um, but. When they got there and they bought this building, they started a business. And this business they used really as a hub for new immigrants who were coming in. Um, and they would train them. So my dad, I would, I once told him I was a teenager. He used to always make us work as well as like go to school. Like the work ethic was a big deal for them. Um, culturally, like you work, you work, you work, right? You, you produce, like you're supposed to be a good worker. And that's part of the culture that gets inherited. And we know that that's like the colonization and, and that's the reason that they do that for us. Um, so that we have a way to like survive, right? Um, but I once asked him, don't you feel upset that you've invested all this like time, all this money, all this like education, like you've trained these people to work in a restaurant and then they leave you like within like a few months or, you know, um, and he said, no, they should leave me. This shouldn't be 
their job forever. Yeah. He's like, the only reason that there's some of these women that have been here for 20 years because they don't want to leave. But the reality is like, I think all of my employees need to leave. Mm -hmm. As in like, this should not be your end. This should not be your end. You should come here, learn the skill, and then go on to a better job. Like you should, yeah, you should be able to do that. Um, And that like really like stuck with me where I was like, oh, so you like think about your work as this businessman, not always as a businessman. Like, yes, he's there to make money. He's there to, like, make sure we survive. But I think the holistic and and the tribalism that comes with community building came from, I think, watching my parents mm. and watching them kind of, like, not just bring the, the siblings, the brothers, the sisters um, across the border and paying for that and letting them pay them later, right? Um, but also just seeing that people who aren't related to them, that yeah. they open their arms or open their doors. Um, Till this day, they, they got gentrified and they moved to Florida. And in Florida, they run a restaurant and um, right back at the game, (laughs) right back at it, right back at it. Um, And a big part of what they do, right, is that they provide also like uh, economic and like social cultural services for everybody who's there. There's migrant workers. That's their audience. Um, And they didn't exist before. So there was no way for all those migrant workers to get access to Spanish speakers, to food, um, to even like send their money back. Mm -hmm. Uh, Western Union was really expensive. And my Mm -hmm. parents kind of change that system where there's like a flat fee and it, yeah. and it just started to be a place where people started to see community in my parents yeah. um, and when you go to Florida you see that you see that when you see their space and you see the people who come in and the way that they treat them um, so I think I learned like what it really means to hold community for people yeah. and hold space for people I think I learned that through my family and through the culture that they they felt they needed to teach me yeah. shout yeah. out moms and pops we're in yeah. Florida is it just yeah it's also Mother's Mexican Mother's Day so shout out mama shout out Mexican yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we always do shout out to moms up here but a special shout out to moms for this coming weekend oh yeah oh yeah it is is mom's day yeah it is is mom's week mom's (laughs) mom's year (laughs) where in florida is the restaurant just out of curiosity lake wales Lake Wales, Florida. all right north south i just want to know i road trip north it's like (laughs) it's like west of Tampa. Okay. Yeah. And north yeah. of Orlando. He will be there. Like an hour away. Yeah. No, seriously. My, my, I've sent <laughs> my friends there. Restaurant. I've sent my friends there. My my friend Julio went there and my parents were so excited to see him. They sent him with tamales and like jalapenos and like oranges. I wish I would have like, known. Right, I, I, yep. I would have sent you to my parents and my parents would have opened their doors to you and would have fed you and yeah. Cool. And would have been like, how do you know our daughter? Like they would, they would just, you know. And my dad's a great storyteller. Show, show them the Hawazi. Would have been a whole thing. You would have done a podcast with my dad. He's an amazing storyteller. I'm serious. Like he's captivating. Like I, I get my, we get our energy from from him and and my mother. But um, but he's a storyteller. He's very much like a big part of bringing people in is to socialize. So yeah. yeah. So 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 I, I'm I'm hearing this this deep rich history rooted in community and like deep love and nurturing for life and people. Yeah. And then that kind of clashed or contradicted in some of the like conservative ideology and how that like related to your actual relationships mm-hmm. and having a queer friend yeah. and that being like a wake up call of like, mm-hmm. I have this foundation, but I also have this counter force that Absolutely. can, that like complicates it and actually expands it. Right. Yeah. And so what, where in the trajectory of the story did that come from that understanding or that moment to like, all right, now I'm starting to, to lay the seeds or take the steps or walk in the doors that like pick a, pick a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I know which one. 
that 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 puts you in like you know the the, the work that you yeah do so now. i think for me that that uh, moment of of what you were saying right knowing that whoa like i meant to i meant to be something different and and the justice fighting doesn't necessarily look like what people think it looks like um but it was in high school where i was viewed as a leader, um, and I was a traditional leader. I know. hate that, right? I know. <laughs> and I was a traditional just leader. Just trying to chill. <laughs> and we talk, I talk a lot about that in my work now, right? Traditional versus non-traditional. And I was a very traditional leader. Like mm-hmm. I was well spoken. I got really good grades, um, and I joined all like, the clubs. Like student council. Yep, situation. student council. I was president for oh, two I years. Totally you had the you had the repeat term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, you don't re-election, see re-election. No one, no one We're even wanted to run against yeah. me. Um, <laughs> two terms. <laughs> two terms. Too many <laughs> I was a championship debater. I was oh, in man. theater. Oh, I, you know, like yeah. I was like the rock star oh, traditional. I bet your student. college application was. Popping. I got a full ride. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what high school was this? I went to Juarez High School okay. in Pilsen. All right, shut yeah. it down. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, it, in being that traditional leader, like, was that a role you felt comfortable in? Was it something that you I were was? Like, yeah. I was very comfortable, and I was willing to to do it to lead. Um, but I think what changed for me was when people started coming up to me and saying, "Hilda, I don't know if I can graduate." Like seniors or juniors would come up to me and say, "I don't know if I can graduate because of this and that." Do you think I can? And I was like, "I'm not a counselor, y'all. <laughs> uh, y'all know I'm a." senior right like y'all know I'm a high school student like, and people would start coming up to me with like issues right. of like Hilda these fries are frozen can you talk to this like lunch staff and like get them to fix the fry situation and I'm like what are y'all talking about <laughs> what like okay like I guys I'm a class president like I don't I'm not like the keeper of your issues it's a sham um, job <laughs> but I slowly realized right that oh like being in a leadership position doesn't always isn't always what you think it is, mm-hmm. right? Like you have this like role or, or even in a job, right? They give you your, your descriptions of what you're supposed to do. Um, and then there's people who are like, well, if it's not on my script, then I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was a realization of I'm meant to lead, but leading doesn't always look like what I think it, it looks like yeah. or what I want it to be. Leading is what people need me to be. Right. So. I took it, right? And one of the first actions I ever did, and I know that now that it was an action, and it was one of the first examples I used with my students at the Freedom School, was that I ensured that Juarez got another fryer mm. for their fries because mm. they were feeding students frozen fries. That's huge. Wow. And that's huge. One of the that's things, how you get a second term, right? <laughs> that's how I get a second term. <laughs> you know, the assemblies there have been had across America about the I'll tell you how I did it. I program. wanted a meeting with the principal. The principal kept denying me a meeting because he's too busy to talk to me about stuff, right? I mean, you know, you're just <laughs> a student. So you, I mean, deep, you deep fried his tie? <laughs> <laughs> I took a bunch of frozen fries from people's trays and put them in a piece of paper and stapled it and put it in his mailbox. Well played. So by the time he got it, they weren't frozen anymore. So whatever was in that mailbox totally got jacked. So I, <laughs> I got a meeting right away. His secretary called me and was like, let's set up a meeting. Called you? They didn't just come to your class? <laughs> what is this? Well, called my class. Uh, okay. yeah, called, called my class. Back then. His we didn't have cell phones back then. His secretary called my chief of staff. Yeah. Right, right. I wish. I wish. <laughs> it was also me. Actually, I was so busy my senior year that I did not get the posse phone call 
uh, at home. I got it at school mm. because it was the only place they could find me. Mm. You, <laughs> so I was so busy. Late yeah. night hours. Yeah, <laughs> I was coming home very late. Meetings. Right. Yeah, I would debate <laughs> meetings and swim lot and swim meets and all of it. Yeah. Oh, man. Looking like JFK with his feet up on the desk, like his head in his hands. <laughs> so, right. This is, this was, this is my fear right here is that the story is too rich. Right. Uh, no, but it's, so it's, I want to, I want to get to the place of yeah. where, where we yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, like yeah. that, that deep piece for me. Right. <laughs> Recognizing that I had to be this leader and the leader leadership doesn't look what you think it looks like or what you want it to look like. You have to be what people need you to be. Um, and that was really real for me. And and then moving on into college, I think um, I, I had a deep commitment to education and justice and young people when I got into Carleton's campus and recognized that I was given a privilege to be in that space for free Um and so many other young people around me, friends, people I loved, didn't make it to college. A lot of them got shot. Um, a lot of people got pregnant, right? That didn't mean that I didn't think they were brilliant. And it didn't mean that I didn't have this, like, love and compassion and and just really missed the idea of, like, if what if I could take them with me, right? And that, that's the idea of, of posse. Right. Um, but it's so unfair because you take 10 and that's it. Everybody else gets left behind. Um, and it made me really sad that so many of those people deserved spaces like, like Carleton that are beautiful. I mean, just like University of Chicago yeah. here, right? And this, I've, we've had students here last summer and they're like, it's so pretty, Hilda. How come our neighborhoods don't look like that? Yeah. And they're right. And I think for me, being that 18 year old, I felt violence. I felt, yeah, and violence. <laughs> you just answered that question. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Not there. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, big, the, big, big capital. U, U of C violence. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good. Um, but I, I think it was, it was just really sad for me to think that so many people don't get the opportunity to be in a space like that, to feel safe, right? Because that's the other thing. No one locks their doors. Everyone feels safe. You know, all these college students are here to play. And I was coming from a place of deep commitment to my education so that I can do something with it. Um, and a big part of that was that I wanted to change the way young people were viewed and seen because I felt like as a leader and as a young person, people treated me like I was incompetent. Mm -hmm. And I did not feel incompetent. And I didn't feel mm -hmm. like... I didn't know what I was doing. Hmm. I knew where I wanted to go to college. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to major in. Um, I knew who my real friends were and who weren't my friends, mm -hmm. right? Like I knew, I, I knew myself. I think I knew myself at a very young age. And a lot of adults kept trying to convince me that I didn't yeah. mm. and that I should think about, you know, if I'm so smart, don't be a teacher, do something else that makes more money. That's such a waste of a degree. You know, things like that that people would say to me yeah. as, a, as a teenager. And I'm like, really? Like, this coming from an educator? Like, it's it, it really it's like that's clearly your own shit. Right. right now. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, yes, I became an educator. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't become an actress. So I wanted to be an actress for a long time. Um, but I, be, I became an educator and I still act, obviously. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that, that deep, that deepness came from recognizing that, uh, Everything in my life was set up for me to be in the place that I am. And part of that was the experience that I had as a young person. And now that I do the adultism work, it, it rang so true to me and also um, in terms of my own experience, but also recognizing that I, I am that person to lead that, right? Yeah. Like I am that person that can say and, and it does have a story of, of I was a traditional 
you know, leader, but definitely still experienced adultism all along the way. And I feel like if I didn't trust myself, if I didn't trust my inner self, then I wouldn't be this person. You know, I wouldn't have Latrue as my gay best friend, right? Like, I wouldn't, like, (laughs) you know, I I don't think I would have ended up at Carlton. I don't think that I would be as a, a confident woman as I am. I think if I listened to so many of those people around me, adults, um, and non-adults, but, uh, for, for the most part, I, I was deeply, deeply committed to the idea of young people having access to self-worth, to education, um, and to just even like learning how to be in community with each other. Yeah. I think that was really, really important for me being at Carleton and how we survived in community as people yeah. of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I breed that with my young people so that they know how to do this wherever yeah. they go? Yeah. Yeah. Hilda, I, I appreciate you so much. <laughs> One, because your work is amazing and transformational. But two... In my brain, I was looking at the 30 minute mark to start talking about adultism and ageism. And you, and you just, you just, you just threw that lob up and now we are here. Somebody needs at a podcast. No. <laughs> You're just here. You're just here with me. I'm and, with you. I'm with you. And thank you. So me and this guy, Daniel, we talk about a few things, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's usually either like hip hop comedy or like deep social philosophy, right? right. I like all of those things. <laughs> and so for the last like, month or two like trying to you know not just be racism sexism you know have a a, a, as intersectional uh, as possible Mm -hmm. all of our isms and all of our systems particularly the oppressive ones uh i've been using your framework especially probably from like the last hawazi i was at of like discussing ageism and adultism like more in depth and we kind of go back and forth uh on like that is a, a a concept that there is not as much information, right? Absolutely. And so with yeah. you know, with American history, race being forefronted, we have a we are still so ignorant about racism, but of all the systems, we kind of have there the most. There have been some like, books written. Yeah, there's been, we have the most. There's language. a few books on race, <laughs> uh, but but even still, a lot of people like don't really know what mm-hmm. racism mm-hmm. is, right? Mm-hmm. So extrapolate that. So many people don't understand constructs around age, youth adultism absolutely Uh, where how do you like define or what is your entry point into understanding and verbalizing what this system that is so prevalent because it is is everywhere and we have all experienced absolutely Um, so adultism is a form of oppression that is based on the idea and the practice of and social construction of adults being superior to young people and that it is in their right given superiority positioning to control everything about a young person um, from the way they think, the way they live, the way they exist, the way they, um, what they preach, like what they, um, a lot of it is rhetoric that's implanted into children's minds, right? Or young people's minds. And adultism is an issue for me that is also historical, mm-hmm. like all the forms of oppression. There's a history behind adultism that uh, for me, doing the research, my my personal historical research and academic work is around age and age theory and age consciousness because I like philosophy too. Uh, <laughs> side note, I used to teach about philosophy. We should talk. Ooh. <laughs> and, yep. Yum. <laughs> yep, yep. I got a reader for you. I, got a reader. I built it. I built a reader. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just making sounds. I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> just, Damon just salivated all over the microphone, guys. It's really good. We're going to need to clean this. We'll be right back. No, <laughs> no, no continue. Uh, Yeah, so adultism has a historical basis where this concept of age was what was constructed first. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I went down the rabbit hole because I I wasn't just 
doing adultism trainings and, and eradicating it in spaces? And how do you construct uh, youth development spaces where young people are honored as partners and not like these these people that you're serving? Or, or that you're, props. Or, or props, yeah. right? Or tokenizing. Um, or even like there's the level of like informed by the youth, but you still do everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I think there's room for that in a lot of different ways, but it's yeah. really about recognizing the levels, right? Mm-hmm. And, and honoring the whole person. Uh, but once I, from that, I was like, there's got to be a history behind this. This came from somewhere. Like everything comes from somewhere. And that, that's my obsession with history is that I can find the root. We can find the root to the past, right? Where right. did this start? How did this happen, right? Mm-hmm. How do we get to this place where yeah. children are viewed as inferior and we just like put them on the side and ignore them and quarantine them? And then once they go through this like really shitty system of education, if they make it out, then we're like, congratulations, you're an adult. You can be like us and oppress a bunch of young people too. (laughs) You know, and like tell them what to do. And like, you know, um, so I was like, there's got to be something that happened, right, in terms of this. Um, So historically, in terms of age, our concept of age changed. And it changed um, a long, long time ago. The French changed it really. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) It was the French that changed yeah. it in the Enlightenment era. Um, but there was a point where children were even in the United States viewed as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily like you're an adult who's supposed to do all adult things, but because of biology, we weren't living that long at that point. Uh, it was just miraculous if you lived past seven, right? <laughs> so like real talk. It's like, man, you've been through some things. You're 12. Especially if you were white you know? in this country. <laughs> like if you were a colonizer yeah. in this country during yeah. like the 1600s. And you survived. And you survived you're seven. You're a 12 year Have a you're, beer. You're a, yes, you are a grown up. You are a man you now. The day. You are a man now and you will now go and work with your daddy right yeah. and you're gonna read your bible every night and then oh, <laughs> this is so how i teach funny. history by the way <laughs> and then you know if you're a young woman if you made it to seven now you're chilling with your mom and you're gonna learn all the mom yeah. stuff and you know get ready get ready to be this like you know this person and then by 14 you pick you pick something you pick a discipline you put you know you pick something to do uh, a craft or it's right? picked for you <laughs> Right, or it's or picked it's for you. Inherited, or yeah, it's crap, it was yeah. usually inherited. Yeah. yeah, whatever your dad did, that's what you did. Yeah. Whatever your mom did, that's what you did. Um, but by fourteen, that was you're looking for a partner. Yeah, you're looking for marriage. You know, so it's also about the time shift of of how long we lived. Yeah. So now we're living longer. So then, what do you do with these extra years? Yeah. We can't like just make them go to work. Because then we slowly realize that children need to be nurtured yeah. and not necessarily just like thrown into workforce, right? Yeah. Um, they're not just laborers. So the the nurturing piece that changed the way we see children um, really changed the way our society started to view children. Um, but it was also a way for, for them to create a philosophy around who is childlike and who is not. Right. Mm-hmm. And the childlike versus the non-childlike right, is what we came. extrapolate that yes. onto, sorry to it's cut like you off, be, for, be, for the big moment there. But act yes. like a man. Right. Well, to project that onto people that you're trying to oppress, basically. Absolutely. Like make that connection between if this child is inferior, I can say that that adult is acting like a child yeah. and therefore they need, then they are inferior to me. Yes. Yeah. And that's how we treat poor people. All forms of oppression are, are associated to childlike state. Right. Mm. Yeah. The inability to take care of yourself, the inability, like that's the logic behind yes. it is that like, yes. we need to do this because if we don't, then like, it'll just be chaos and these people can't build their own. They don't know how to, mm-hmm. they can't self-actualize and they right. can't self-discipline. Right. Um, and they're, they're not intelligent enough or disciplined enough or um, have the mature capacity really to lead themselves. Yeah. Right. To self-govern. 
child mortality, just to go back to, it's a real cheery topic, but <laughs> it is like so wild that we, and we don't really talk just how many people did not survive. Did not. As children. Like, and moms also not like that. That is such a huge part. Uh, I've, Almost each family, like you know, we're talking a few yeah, centuries ago. Have, you, you have the one kid that doesn't yeah, make you it, yeah, or more. You more. know, if you have eight kids. The assumption is you're not getting eight grown ups. <laughs> no, like it's just it's no. a crapshoot. Because that, that was that was the other that was the reason that a lot of times it wasn't nurturing back in the in those times, yeah, especially like, well, in the 1700s. It's right, like, I'm gonna... you couldn't get attached to the child. You couldn't get attached mm. to the infant because it might die. Right, and that that was the like scary part, and that's why adults didn't, and that's why also you had a lot of like if you look at archives and history books or stuff like that, there's a lot of pictures of dead babies mm. and that that's why is because especially Europeans they really struggled with fertility and like those kinds of issues and historically when I oh, looked yeah, into like that the stuff, like the, the baby angels there was there was a big mm. difference yeah, yeah. there's a big difference between like birthing um, and childbearing of the European women that were coming to this country or this col- colonies uh, versus Native American women yeah. and they were just so shocked to see like the Native women first of all did not have children in abundance the way that all these Christians did <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah, believe it or not, they did not have the all of these children in abundance the way other people other people you know did. Um, but that they were ready to work and live their life after like a week of giving mm-hmm. birth, mm-hmm. and for a white woman uh, during that era, it would take months to like a year even. Yeah. So in your research, what have been some of the like cultural differences that enabled? that process to be different for indigenous folks like like what what were they doing differently if you have any idea you know also yeah. this stuff is tough to trace <laughs> it um, is it is tough to trace but i i um i mean i think there's got to be some sort of like spiritual also the like eating habits mm-hmm. you know probably, yeah. eating habits but also uh, the physical the the physical movement of of indigenous people and the space that they had versus Europeans. There's yeah. a lot less space in Europe during this time. That's why they're exploring and trying to colonize yeah. and shit, you know? So they're like... <laughs> it's mostly just a tiny portion it's, of the world. It's, it's a so very small. small part. And it's like over... It's it's, like, we gotta get out of here. And then yeah, we're, we're all like, ah! It's like, it's like little village. Ah! It's tight. It's tight. You know? in traffic on the Dan Ryan. It's like, oh my God. All of England. Yeah, all, literally. Like, it was, if, if the Dan Ryan was just covered in feces, <laughs> that's what they London They ran was. out of space. Yeah, they ran out of space. But also it was the, the domestication of animals mm-hmm. is where they kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. Where like once they started domesticating animals and the fishing and all that stuff in Europe, then then we're talking about the ruining of space and mm-hmm. right. So they had to find other land, fertile land. They had to have more space. So I think for me, a, a big part of seeing that difference is, I mean, they're living in a lot more space. They're living more freely. There There is abundance in terms of like right. the production of food yeah. and resources. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that, changes like your ability to like breed yeah um so yeah i mean they're also weak they were coming from ships you know and eating very little like (laughs) and there's all kinds of just diseases and bacteria and stuff that their bodies you know and that obviously goes so if you think about that yeah the white folks who came here i mean they survived off of the grace of the natives who taught them how to live here Mm -hmm. like (laughs) yeah it is it is just so it's we've been talking i've been kind of tripping out in general about just the the cognitive dissonance of like building a house that looks like england in the middle of the congo or in the middle of like just the the, like the kind of (laughs) absurd belief in one's yeah like like yeah the the absurd cognitive dissonance of that of like no this is a place that i'm destined to be Mm -hmm. when everything is telling you that's Bro, not you how you're died. supposed to do it. Like <laughs> yeah. the three colonies yeah. that were here before the Jamestown is gone, bro. They all died. Like <laughs> maybe change the way you do it. So that it, 
where that's been helpful for me is that it helps me then understand how they made like the logical leaps to these horrible systems of understanding power, mm-hmm. right? Because you're already thinking out of your mind. You're already not thinking logically. Mm-hmm. And then you can justify all kinds of stuff that way once yeah. you've stopped paying attention to all of the signals around you and you're just doing your own thing to survive. Right. And and the construction of age where children need to be taken care of yeah. and coddled and really guided by adults um, was definitely used at mm-hmm. a, at a systematic, at a cultural, at a like, we all as humans now believe this yeah. uh, level, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, it was really dangerous because then we see what happens, right? Is yeah. that we start to see um, in terms of race, right? That they're given, they're given a, a godly right to colonize, but also that uh, black folks are are inhuman, mm-hmm. right? And that they're childlike. And mm-hmm. you would slowly read some of those like archival pieces that'll say that yeah. um, that they that they act like children because of not taking things serious. That they're lazy, and it's like. No, that's just a misinterpretation of native life. Like right, right. <laughs> they're they're out in like the open. Like they're like you know, like they're not living in like these cities the way that like Europeans right. were. Like we're talking about completely different ways of existence. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you think of any form of oppression, women, childlike, don't let them drive, don't let them work. Um, at some point, they weren't allowed to work out because they thought their uterus would fall out. Mm. Right. So there's just like, a joke there. I can't even find it, but but woof. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. It, it, it's it's you know the, the, the history people, yeah right? the history is ridiculous so so you know <laughs> kind of to to sum up or for the people a quick like communal definition we're talking about the idea of social construction so yes. all all of the ways in which we understand and codify difference are not inherent but they are are implemented and reproduced in the way we interact with each and other we so we're talking that. about race mm-hmm. gender right like you know a boy wearing blue a girl wearing pink mm-hmm. you know melanated being black mm-hmm. European being white right like all of these things are things that we reproduce and are not like biologically natural yes. um, and so with that the concept of being a child being an adult being an elder is not inherent and is not Mm-mm. absolute right no. it's something that we are reproducing yes uh, and so I, I've been saying and I want to get to like some of the complications that we might have yeah. in the modern world of how to understand that because I've been saying at least to Daniel uh, not to the world that <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that we should treat all people the way we treat children. And if that does not work, then we need to change how we're treating children. Yes. Right. So like the nurture that we should give to a child, the patience that you should have with a mm-hmm. child. And then if that is not, if that feels inaccurate, then we should probably readdress the construct of, of adult child relationships. And so the, the, you know, I think that's easy to say theoretically, but as an educator, you're saying as a person in the classroom and as somebody like in the world as it's shaped now and our understandings of development, right? Like what are the ways in which that is complicated? I'm kind of like taking kind of your chat. You want to like kind of ask the question? Yeah, I mean, so this is of like really protecting or like. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out in general how to wrestle with things more publicly. So this is this idea because I've heard you talk about it and I think there are assumptions coming off of the like the initial framework of this like treating someone in a basically like there are things that young people need that older people don't need right yes there are kinds of nurturing the way you were saying there are kinds of mentorship there are kinds of physical protection Mm -hmm. um that as a whole older people don't Mm -hmm. need so that that in in our and i don't know if that has to be the case but Mm -hmm. In our understanding of development and our understanding of also like the dangers of the world, there are things that people, children are unable to like handle 
on their own. Right. I mean, I'm not saying abandon the children and let them lead themselves. Like, that's kind <laughs> of silly. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of silly. And I know that there's a lot of people who, who are very anti-thinking about adultism in this way because um, they like coddling their children, one. Um, mm-hmm. But also it's about power, right? It's yeah. about, we're, we're not talking about... With any form of oppression, when we try to free the person who's oppressed, the person who has power gets scared that their power is going to diminish, mm-hmm. right? So giving young people the opportunity to practice their agency and to understand what that agency looks like, mm-hmm. right, does not mean that adults lose their agency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That doesn't mean that they don't lose their role in the life of young people. Right. Caring um, for someone and being in community with them doesn't mean is not equal to losing power. Right. And so much about normally how we see adult and how we see, especially like parent teacher is like a position of authority and dominance Mm -hmm. that like, as opposed to partnership. Right. Or responsibility. And I tell that to my young people, you're a partner in this work. Like I, I don't have the answers to what your generation and your issues are right now. I'm not, 17. I'm not 15. I was like, but I can guide you and I can support you and I can give you feedback and I can ensure that these adults listen to you. Right. Like, and that's, that's what an ally does. Um, But I do not advocate that the young people just run around and do whatever they want. Cause that's not necessarily true either. Cause oppression is real and there is unsafe circumstances and spaces in our society. And we, people of all ages hurt each other. Right. That's not just young young people. Right. Well, I also want to challenge you, right. Um, Daniel Mm -hmm. and, and to think about, yeah, that adults don't need certain things that young people do. I think that's a that's a farce. I think that that is one of the issues that we have with age and age consciousness is we've compartmentalized these ideas that as a young person, you need this. As a child, you need this. As an adult, you need this. As an elder, you should be this. And I think that's really dangerous because you're creating this concept that by age, you need to be a finished product. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. certain things, you know, that at that point that you should be or you should know or you should develop. But as humans, we're living in a in a press society, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and all of our lives and histories and things like that are really complex. So at any point in your life as a, as an adult, you can fall right back to the needs that you needed when you were a teenager. Yeah. And, and I think and I think we all experience that also when you go right. back in the house with your parents and what we call like regression. But it's yes. like the patterns that <laughs> you learn then become the ways that you interact with the world again. Mm-hmm. For sure. mm-hmm. And I think age. Is a, is a spectrum or, or a system that like really brings home the idea that uh, oppression hurts the oppressor or the dominant as well. It's really hard to apply that to like race and gender because you don't want to like coddle white people or men or white men specifically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the idea of I'm 21 now and I don't need to learn anymore. I don't need nurturing. Mm-hmm. I need to like figure this out on my mm-hmm, own. Mm-hmm. It's actually like really self-harming, you know, like in like that we put that on to ourselves or I'm 40 and I don't need to learn and I don't need to be fed and I don't need to be Or nurtured. to feel really guilty in, in a capitalist society that you don't have enough money at 40 or that you don't have a house or that you're not married or that you don't, you know, you're living a, a very different adult life compared to your friends who drank the Kool-Aid and yeah. have a car and a house and a man, you know, and children. Um, I think that there's a lot of like self hatred that comes yeah. with that and like issues that we do to ourselves, yeah. but it's not, it's not ourselves. It's our interactions with, with the system. Mm-hmm. Right. And the system is going to constantly be in battles with anything that tries to change it. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think it's, it is about a spectrum of age and that at different points in our lives and at different stages in our lives, uh, we can be at any of those right. pieces of, you know, I, I still feel like that child. 
in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And I think I come off very joyful and I come off very youthful. And I think it's because I've I've never let go of that. And that, that comes from my mother. So happy Mother's Day because yeah. <laughs> that comes from my mother. My mother has very like naive joy that I've always admired. And I think I've inherited in a lot of ways. Um, and the logic of my father, right? <laughs> 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 because I would tell, we'd go through really hard things and I would ask her like, how are you laughing right now? How yeah. is this? And she's like, if I let everything bother me, then I would not live. Mm. Right. Um, so I think that, that that's a big piece, right? That's a big piece of like our, our work is, is also reclaiming our joy regardless of what age we are Mm -hmm. and it's so confined to childhood joy and like letting loose in joy and like living in joy is like yeah living in your body like all of that is or doing weird things with your body when you were a child like it was okay it was okay to do that right (laughs) and that's why i liked theater right that's why i was attracted to theater as as a young person um and i still use a lot of that with my teenagers because some of you'll see some of them are 17 and they don't want to be silly and i was like you were too young to lose joy yeah you know <laughs> I also remember as a young person being like, oh, this is the time I'm supposed to be happy. And I don't feel happy right yeah. now, right? So that's also part of that, yeah. that reduction of it mm-hmm. is simplifying what the experience of being a child and is. And the feelings there. of children. <laughs> the feelings of children. Right. These yeah. complex emotional systems of learning and feeling grown, like you're growing, but also you're regressing and you have agency, but you don't have it. Like the just sheer confusion and your body, sh- like those struck not struggles but those how just how complicated being a kid is and then it gets very reduced to this like childlike wonder thing and then you become not you know less naive as a grown-up mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. breaking that down seems like a good use of this framework too yeah hilda you've done it again yeah will, will you <laughs> I do? will you step into the naivete with me can yes. we be naive for yeah, a little bit well, I, I'm, I'm using that as a transitional word but like uh the vision right so like it, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, for like a lot of struggles against anti-black oppression, right? Like the, the 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 claim is like abolition, right? Like these systems, specifically like the systems of violence, the carceral system, the military-industrial complex, right? Like we need to get rid of that and what it does and how it races us and how it harms black people and black communities, right? If we transfer that to the construction of age, what is the abolitionist future or the 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 like comparable, yeah. What 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 is the future that you see um, as mm-hmm. a, a something to evolve towards or to revolutionize how we think about this concept? Yeah, what's our imagined non? If if you had, you know future. if you and your folks mm-hmm. had had the clean slate, where, where are we going? Um, an intergenerational world where children are not quarantined um, and young people are not quarantined to learn, um, within their own age group, but instead that people are learning through themes, that people are learning through passions, that people are learning through space, um, and time, and that everyone is considered a partner mm-hmm. in, in the, re- the world and the construction of, of that, um, learning process or that stage, yeah. right? Um, a world that doesn't have schools with walls, um, where we, train everyone to understand that there's a way to learn something all the time, right? Like um, that experiential learning is happening all the time, right? Like that's one of the things that I I intentionally teach my young people. We talk about race for a whole week. And then on Friday, I take them on an experiential field trip so that they can see, feel, taste, and understand 
all the stuff we've talked about. Mm-hmm. You have to make it real. If you don't make it real, then it doesn't matter, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> if it's not real, if you're not feeling it, then it's not going to be real uh, to people and, and they're not going to remember it. Um, so for me, a world where we don't necessarily judge people by their age, by, but we judge people based on where they are and their humanity, mm-hmm. um, and that we show up for people in ways that they need us. Yeah. I think that that's the kind of leadership I want to replicate yeah. with my young people. Um, that it, this idea of like inclusive, inclusive, and like let everybody in. I don't. I don't necessarily always agree with that. I think there are some people that need to take breaks <laughs> mm-hmm. and and do their you know do their thing. Um, but I do think that it's important for leaders to shift their ideas around. You are the only person who can lead, and that there's only one way of leading, um, and that it doesn't change. It should always change. The way you lead has to change all the right. time because it should be re- reflective and responsive. Reflective of the, of the space and the people. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's. I, I want to get a couple. You mentioned the field trip thing on Friday. The going out and having experiential learning opportunities. What are some other tactics that, when you were in the classroom or when you're doing teacher development now, that you're trying to impart for ways to like tangible tactics to challenge these things? Yeah. So I do uh, PDs for the teachers who facilitate student voice committees in their schools at CPS schools. And one of the things that I came in uh, changing as part of the PD is I tell everyone this. If you don't, for yourself as an adult, experience or practice or do what you're trying to teach, yeah. it's not going to be effective. It's just yeah. not. This is the so if you're not, yeah. yeah. So if you're not talking about, if you're not thinking about your identity, if you're not thinking about your uh, your own traumas with like the system of oppression, right? If you're not like dealing with um, the things that are in contradiction inside of you, right? As, as an adult walking into a classroom, then you're not going to be really good at like teaching that to young people <laughs> or like you trying to teach them someone. how to dismantle a form of oppression when they themselves don't know how to dismantle it or haven't done the internal work. Right? And even if you're not at that level, you won't even be able to appropriately respond to the heart because you can't place yourself. Right. So when you see the fights or you see the outburst or you feel like you're getting disrespected or your authority is being challenged, yeah. if you don't have the if you if you don't see the bars of the cage that you are in. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you'll just be a trapped bird. Right. Oh, a trapped one. bird yelling to other trapped yeah. birds not to be trapped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That like, and we think about it as interviewers, like don't ask a question that you're not willing to answer. Don't right. ask something of someone that you wouldn't be willing or able exactly. or able to try to do yourself. Exactly. Or at least understand your relationship to it. Yeah. Right. So what I do is that I construct PDs so that they mirror what I want the teachers to do with their students. Mm-hmm. So the experience that they're the having experience, in the PD. Is, yes. Yeah. The experience that they have in the PD is the experience that I, I do with young people and that I want them to replicate mm-hmm. with their youth, right? So at the end of, of the training, we'll, we'll hear teachers be like, I just feel like really like cleansed. I just feel like really listened to. I feel yeah. like I could take these practices beyond, you know, my after school program and take them into my classroom. Yeah. I feel like you've changed the way I kind of see young people, right? And a lot of times, They've said things like, we look forward to these PDs and we never look forward to CPS PDs. <laughs> <laughs> that does seem like a, a wasteland of four PDs. 
So it's a very, you know, we try to make it real because we're doing human work and human work should be real, yeah. right? At uh, least. At, at least, right? <laughs> at CTB, right? At least. So I'm trying to, you know, a little bit of my kernel, right, in the in the sand, a little bit of what I can do. Um, so for me, it's, it's that is is try to replicate, right, what you yourself would, would want or do for yourself, right, mm-hmm. in the world. So for me, it, it is like circle keeping and it is being in like space and it is like providing honor to the people that are doing work. Um, and it's not about a deliverable. Deliverables come and go, but it's about a process and it's yeah. about what you've done in that process with these humans. Yeah. Like that's what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to like change that paradigm is hard like, yeah. <laughs> because we've been conditioned, right, to think that paper matters, right? That like production right. matters, that like time is not a construct, right? Like time is fixed. And I'm like, guys, time's a construct. But <laughs> so that's another time, thing. But speaking that's of time being a construct. I know, I know, I know. It's but a construct, I, but you know. I want to, so you talked about like the clock is real. Learning how to challenge. <laughs> the clock is real, but time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you talk about learning how to challenge this like first in relationships, then in your classroom, and then now in the PDs. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the scale of it getting a little bit bigger and, and learning how to kind of scale up with, with this kind of challenge. Um, and I know we've talked a little bit about you trying to figure out how to do that on other scales and in other kinds of spaces. Yeah. Um, where do you want this conversation to be happening that you don't see it happening already? And where do you want to be facilitating that? I think the conversation needs to be happening among young people. I think the conversation needs to be happening um, among all adults who claim to be allies to young people, um, particularly access to youth um, and youth spaces, because I think that those youth workers, right, are, and really they're cultural workers because they're they're constructing a new culture, mm-hmm. right, when they engage with young people mm-hmm. and when you claim. And that's slowly I realized that that's what I was doing when we say we're creating an anti-oppressive space. That I'm really uh, I'm creating a new social practice and I'm right. creating a new way of constructing the way we see culture, right, and the way that we exist within this culture. Um, so there's a lot of young people who've gone through the stuff that I've done. Um, so for me, the future is I want those young people to – uh, use what they've what's been given to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's seeing young people take it um, and change the generation that they're in so that they start to slowly see. Uh, so the way that I see it, I see it in waves, mm-hmm. right? I think that I was part of a, a certain wave of people who were doing this work. Um, and I, I'm committed to creating the next wave yeah. um, and letting them kind of lead that yeah. because... I'm not the one that's going to do it. Um, So I tell that to young people all the time where I'm like, look, you pass through me and you're going to move forward. I stay behind. Mm. (laughs) I get the new batch of young folk, Mm. right, who were like you, who didn't know what oppression was, who didn't know what adultism was, right, who didn't know that they could be freedom fighters, right? And they move on. You all move on and you all do your thing and you live your life and you remember, right, this like there was a time where I was young and it was great and it was an amazing experience. And that's what I wanted. Like walking into youth work, I wanted young people to leave my space saying that was dope. Like I had a really dope youth experience because there was just too many young people when I was growing up hating being young and waiting to be 18. And I'm like, that's a really sad existence, y'all. Like, Because really what they're waiting for is the the ability to have agency. Yes. Right. And that doesn't to make choice, to have a choice. Right. 
And I was wow. like, that's fucked up. You don't have to wait till 18 to, like, <laughs> to have choice there and to live. And to, have yeah, yeah. to be a human being. <laughs> to be a human being, right, and to feel that. Um, so how do I provide space so that they can do that and feel that so that as they get older, they become these adults who who look back at that and say, that's where I learned how to be this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, people forget that these young people, the way you treat them and the children, they become adults. <laughs> so you should really be treating the children and youth the way you want the, this adult to become. Like you are going to be an adult who leads, right. who has power, who, you know, so how yeah. do you want that adult to be? Yeah. Right. And, and how do you want them to treat you in case they see you? you when they get older? That's a big part of how I do teach. You really like, want them to like, I just want you to look out for me if I'm in the, <laughs> on your block. <laughs> <laughs> At basic uh, level. It helps. Yeah, I say oh, hi to young people. If you notice that so many adults don't say hi to young people, especially if they're like posted up on a block, uh-huh. you know? And I uh-huh. do, I think as as someone who grew up in the hood, but also like taught at an alternative high school with lots of affiliated youth, I say hi and and they're very shocked. They're always yeah. like, Wait, me? Me? They like yeah, turn around like, yeah. me, yeah, oh, okay. And they like nod their head. Um, but you have no idea how many times I've dodged bullets because I've said hi to a young man. Yeah. And they're like you should cross the street and I'm like I got you I'm crossing the street I'm crossing the street yes sir yes sir <laughs> I have the agency to cross the street thank you very we, much we for, are partners yeah, right yeah, now. yeah I see you you see me you warning me oh, so, so with that we, we, we're about to get out of here uh, we're going to play our game so we went we went all the way and, and we did the thing yeah uh, but this is this is what we're here for this last <laughs> this last segment uh, it's a game we play every every week with our guests uh, and it's all about accountability. There's a sect of the world that has been running amok in at least my 25 years of existence, mm-hmm. and it breaks my heart. Yeah. And those people are R&B singers. So every week we <laughs> invite. Really <laughs> <laughs> like, oh so so we're all about love and all that, but yeah. we we we're about beef in these ergo streets for accountability. Okay. Beef with the R&B singer and why? My beef with yeah, an R- any R&B singer, R&B. any era. It transcends time and space. <sighs> And why do I have beef uh-huh. with them? Wow. Okay. So I really liked Genuine when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> and then I get older and I'm like, oh, I, I like listen to it with nostalgia. But then I'm like, why was I 14 listening to this <laughs> pony song? Yeah. <laughs> So I have beef with like r not just genuine, but like R&B singers in general who like still continue to use like misogynist, you know, misogynistic ideals or perspectives and, and, of it. and the new and the new millennial around like being an R&B singer, whether you're male or female, is still talking about those like relationship issues. Mm-hmm. But it's always still about like, girl, you tripping, girl, yeah. you tripping, girl, yeah. you tripping. And it's like, uh, is she though? Yeah. <laughs> is she tripping though? This is the reason the game exists. <laughs> you, you got you got right. So I love you. All right, we got to go. Where, are there any way the people? No, you don't do Twitter. Do you, I do not do Twitter. Is there any last things people should know? Find you, follow, plug. Any plugs? Uh, plugs. Okay. Yeah. So tonight, uh, public newsroom will be at Build Coffee. Our young people will pretty much it's their come out. Uh, it's their second action. They will be releasing or, or showing to the community what they've been working on uh, for the last year and their commitment to the next stage of their action. Um, so I think that you all should come because mm-hmm. they're going to demand something of CPS uh, oh, very wow. soon. And it's exciting. It's exciting to watch them kind of grow in this direction. And it's all them. It's not something I chose. It's it's the way that we got there was very organic. And they'll explain the process themselves. So you should come out. Dope. Six Dope. to eight. 
Cool. And then how about you? Any Me in particular, uh, I'm only on Facebook. Um, You're on Instagram? I'm on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but Facebook, you, you can find me as Hills Franco, not as Hilda, as Hills, H-I-L-S, Franco, F-R-A-N-C-O. Um, and yeah, you, I usually post about my work. I post about my life. Um, I, I think I'm kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> also, you should just come to the Hobazi. We do it every yes. two weeks. Um, Hilda's always incredible on there and kills yes. it. Um, and the next one is Saturday. Uh, yeah. Neither of us are on that no, one. No, we are not on that but one. But you should still go anyway. But you should still go anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. <laughs> I'm at Ergo Daniel. Uh, Damon underscore AF. Uh, Ergo we, Radio. We will talk to you next week with another conversation showcasing and celebrating Chicago and beyond. Much love to the people. Peace. So you're listening to Ergo, right? Which we appreciate. But you want Ergo and all your other podcasts to sound good. That's why you should be listening on Overcast. Overcast is a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless it's Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store.